0: Hi, this is Kevin McCullough. Thanks for listening to the Christian Outlook podcast, where we cover today's issues from a perspective that honors your Christian faith. Our podcast is brought to you through a partnership with the Pepperdine Graduate School of Public Policy. Here's another piece I trust you'll enjoy. I grew up in Swissvale. And... Uh... There's a little tiny, tiny church. I mean, a little tiny church. Maybe you could fit in 100 people. And I drove by the the other day, and I was with my buddy, and I I was shocked because this church had a for sale sign in front of it. And I was like, can you believe that he said, my buddy said, hey, that would make a nice coffee shop. And I I said, it'd make a even better church. But that's where we are in America today. I mean, things have really receded. Mm -hmm. You know it in your neighborhoods. How many churches, Catholic churches, Baptist churches, Presbyterian churches are now B&Bs or private residences? It's just the era of the pullback of what it is to be a believer. Tim and Kathy Keller are with us. Uh, Tim wrote a piece that appeared in The Atlantic called American Christianity is Due for a Revival. And Tim, I mean... The story in that little church in my hometown illustrates, and I'm sure you see this in New York City as well. The churches are put up for sale sign up.
1: Yeah, yeah. Uh, I used an example at the very beginning of the of the uh, article. That's why I think you're you're that's what you're referring to. When we first got here. There was a an Episcopal church, beautiful Episcopal church, down yeah, sort of downtown uh, West 20th Street, I think and it had been bought and turned into a a sex club basically a sex and drugs club called the limelight and i mean that was the i hadn't really seen that because we're talking about 1989 and we'd come up from virginia through philadelphia but what we saw was in virginia the church was still growing and they were still building churches when i got to philadelphia i could see that things were different in the northeast it was already, I felt like the Christianity was already at least not not seen as very, not seen as positively. And then when we got to Manhattan, Christianity was the bad, they were the bad guys. Mm-hmm. Christians Christians were the bad guys. And, and there was very few people going to church. And the churches were being turned into sex clubs and condominiums and everything. Uh, <clears throat> and now, though, I think more and more, I'm afraid we are seeing that in the rest of the country, too. Uh, I think it happened in a place like New York first. Mm -hmm. Uh, Then it happened in smaller cities like Pittsburgh. Then it started happening everywhere. So it's not great.
2: So we have a a varied audience to our show here, uh, Tim and Kath. We have people who are believers. We also have people who aren't believers who, you know, are from the Pittsburgh community or tri-state area. Mm -hmm. And I'm sure a lot of them who would not call themselves believers – would say, well, I don't know if that's a bad thing. I mean, I don't know if it's if it's that tragic of a thing that yeah. Christianity has less and less of an influence because you guys haven't done you know such a great job uh, running things for you know a long time. So, if if that person comes to you and says, so why would it be a good idea, Tim Keller, for the church to be reinvigorated in society? What would you say?
1: That's a little hard to be. be- but I'm about to say it sounds so counterintuitive to most people today that um, what, what's, what seems more obvious is the, the scandals, you know, in the Catholic yep. Church and the Protestant Church and all the corruption. What people don't recognize is the Christian, <clears throat> the very idea of equal rights for all human beings is a Christian idea. It's a biblical idea. It, it grew up in the West. Um, the idea that we should take care of all the poor, not just our own poor, but all poor people is a Christian idea. It comes from the idea that all human beings are in the image of God. Didn't grow out of Asia, didn't grow come out of India or Africa or other places. It came out of Christianity. And to a great degree, we are uh, extraordinarily indebted to the church at that high level. Secondly, uh, there are, I know Jonathan Haidt, who's a, an atheist. He's a Social psychologist, a Jewish guy, uh, not a good friend, but, but I know him and I love him. He's just a really smart, wonderful guy. And he says, basically, you're never going to have a really cohesive society without strong religious bodies. Mm-hmm. Because he says you can't have a society unless you believe that your morality is rooted in something sacred, mm-hmm. something bigger than yourself. It's not just something we're making up out of our heads. And he said, actually, secular people don't really have that. Religion has that, and and therefore it kind of creates an anchor. And then, of course, maybe I I mentioned this. Here's the last thing. I mentioned this is the easiest one for people to get. Um, Twenty years ago, University of Pennsylvania did a study to figure out, in general, how much money uh, local churches were, were basically pouring into their neighborhoods in the Philadelphia area. And how much it would cost the government, if all the churches disappeared tomorrow, how much it would cost them to replace those services. Mm. And this is 2001. And they figured just inside the city limits of Philadelphia, it would be $250 million a year. Mm. Now, that's, you know, now, and yet, here's the thing. Christians do not believe that Christianity is true because it serves society. We believe it can serve society because it's Mm. true. So you put all that together. If I had a little more time, I think I could make that sound a little yeah. more coherent. Can
3: I jump in with one comment here? Yeah. Um, some of the people who are saying, I'm not really so sad to see the back of Christianity, they can, you know, disappear off the face of the earth and that's fine with me. If they're talking about Christendom, I would agree. Christendom it was not Christianity. It was sort of the civil religion, you know, where you put the Ten Commandments outside the courthouse, and mm-hmm. and you had all of these societal markers of, um, you know, Christianity being the, the top dog in the uh, social order, and everybody else had to sort of keep quiet and celebrate Hanukkah or whatever else they wanted to on the down low, but christianity if they have a revival that's a whole different thing that's not a return to christendom where you know we are we rule as the power from the top down it's a it's a return to what jesus talked about is Mm -hmm. we serve from the bottom up we we take the posture of we are people who've been saved by the gospel and now we can be servants of our neighbors rather than you know grab the power and force yeah. them to do what we think is the right i know thing. our time
1: time is limited but just to give you a real quick example peter drucker who's gone now he was a business guru when he moved from europe to, to new jersey in 1932 or something like that and he was trying to buy a house they said where do you go to church mm. the mm. bank said where do you go to church really? wow and he and he said uh i don't know that what why are you asking that and he said well, why would we give a a mortgage to somebody who doesn't go to church? How would we trust you? <laughs> wow. Okay, see, now, you see, that's Christendom. That's what Kathy's talking about. Yeah. I'm, not, I'm not sure that's good, frankly. I, it feels to me that's just prejudice yeah. at that point to say, well, you're not going to get a mortgage, what, if you're Jewish? Mm-hmm. Or if you're an atheist? That's not fair. Right. So that isn't something we should care about as much. But on the other hand, I think, I don't think people realize what would be lost if the church really dies.
0: Yeah, and Kath, okay, so here you are, Kath, you grew up in the eastern suburbs here in the city of Pittsburgh, and of course, you know, I mean, you grew up here, you saw, and I'm sure Tim, you saw Kath, your hometown church, your neighborhood church, and and the work that they did, it was evident to you as even as a young child, things were being done, people were coming here, you were part of the fabric of the community. Yeah.
3: Oh yeah. When, when I told my mother, "This is Christendom again," that I had become a Christian, I was in my teens. She, she said to me, "You've always been a Christian. You were born in America."
0: Hmm.
3: <laughs> yeah. I said, uh, "Mom, not exactly how it works."
0: Yeah. And there is a difference, right? I mean.
2: No, it's a good distinction between Christendom and Christianity. Yeah. But here. Here's the problem, though. For the person I'm talking about who's listening to the program right now, there is no difference to them. They don't recognize that there's a distinction between, yes, between Christendom and, you know, a a Jesus following Christianity.
1: Right. Well, I tried to say something about that at the end of the the article where I said, Christianity, the gospel, Christianity is not moralism. And I think most people do think that's what it is, just Mm -hmm. what you're saying. Mm Mm-hmm. Um, moralism is where you are kind of harsh. You come down on people, you tell them you have to live like this, 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 you have to live like me and there's a self-righteousness and you see that self-righteousness is what people utterly hate. And yet the actual gospel is that you are a sinner saved by sheer grace. Mm -hmm. That yes, if you experience the, if you experience Mm -hmm. the grace of God in your life, you will uh, obey God. You will you will follow, you, you, you won't kill, you won't steal, you won't lie. In other words, you, of course, will be a moral person. But, but your motivation is not moralism, which is saying, look how great I am. I'm following all the rules. Yeah. You're, you're, uh, what you're doing is once you realize you're saved strictly by God's grace because Jesus died for you, it creates a desire, an eager desire to unself righteously want to love God and love your neighbor as a way of just saying, thank you for the grace that you've given me, and I just want to I want to give back. I want to give back to you. I want to give back to my neighborhood. So it's really not the moralism, and you're absolutely right. Most people don't see any difference in Christianity and moralism.
0: Mm-hmm. So then if there is a revival, and, and Tim, in the piece, the, the Atlantic piece, you make a strong case that a revival is coming. Uh, is, is a lot of that hinged upon... The decline of the established, you know, sort of washbish church that we all grew up in, and a new church that hinges on a rise of immigrants who bring their faith yeah. to this country.
1: Part of it is that um, what we're what we're seeing is in a very interesting <clears throat> Christianity is growing by leaps and bounds in Latin America, Africa, mm-hmm. um, China, uh, and other places in the world. But there are other places in the world where the population is growing, too, um, unlike us. And so what always happens is the places where the population is growing faster tend to go to immigrate to emigrate and immigrate to places where there's uh, where the population is not growing as fast. And so what's going to happen over the next 50 years is so many people are going to be moving to the United States from those parts of the world that are more, um, you know, more Christian. And they're going to be bringing their missionaries with them. My my guess is Koreans, listen, I do know this, in 1992, Koreans and Chinese people in New York City had already planted 300 new churches. Wow. 300 by the time, by 1992, over a 20-year period. Africans had planted 110. Now, I haven't been keeping up, but my guess is those numbers have at least doubled. Wow. And that's just New York. But that's going to start happening. And, of course, the kids are going to grow up and we're going to all get married. And so in, increasingly there will be strong, growing, multi-ethnic churches in this country. And that's exactly right, John.
2: So, the, I mean, when I hear that, it's thrilling to me. Uh, I think because I've John and I have been so fortunate to be able to travel around the world and meet people who believe in Jesus from different tribes and cultures and it's it's an a, there's just not absolutely nothing like it. It truly yeah. is a for, it's a, truly is a foretaste of the kingdom. Um I understand though that there, there are probably a lot of people listening to the program who look at that with a little bit of trepidation and they think, well, you know, I don't I don't want America to become South Korea. Or I don't and so you know the ideas of immigration on a, in a geopolitical sense get a little mashed up with thinking that the church is multicultural.
1: Yeah. Well, i tell you what. I, well, you're right. First and, of can all, I just, you have to be can careful. I say
3: my, Tim, can I interrupt you and say my line? If people do not enjoy multicultural churches, they're not going to enjoy heaven very much.
1: <laughs> yeah.
3: Seriously. Leave every it to, every leave kingdom, it to tribe, Kathy, people, nation
1: right. are going to be there. Kathy. And if
3: you're not ready for that, <laughs> you're not going to enjoy heaven very much.
1: So – down here, I was just going to say within the church, it's seasoning. It's, it's, uh, it's not, it's not a totally new church because, because what ends up happening is that when, uh, yeah, when Korean Americans come into the church, they bring something from their Korean Christianity. And the result in the end though, is not Korean Christianity. It's, uh, it's, more, it's you know, I guess you could say it's more global Christianity, mm-hmm. and you learn. I mean, when I uh, when I start, first started having uh, Asian staff members on my in my on my church staff at Redeemer, they started telling me things that I could be doing a lot differently because in Korean churches they do it this way, and like one time out of two, I would say, eh, no, I'm not going to do it that way. I don't think that's a good way. But then, but another one time out of two, I would say that's better. Mm. That That is a better way of doing it. And I was learning from my multi-ethnic staff and Redeemer became a much stronger church, but recognizably an American church. Mm-hmm. So you ought to see it more like seasoning. When it comes to the geopolitical stuff, the political stuff, I don't think I better talk about that right here, but I do think in the end that it it doesn't mean the overthrow of America. Right. Like some, there's a, it just does not. People are still coming into American institutions, and I believe that American institutions will be seasoned by all these immigrants just the way my church was, and it yep. still be recognizable American church.
0: I agree, yeah. And so whether we like it or not, and despite uh, our, our gnashing of teeth and fear of a changing country, this country always changes, that uh, we will still in, in many ways still be Christian, right? I mean, Christian, whether yeah. it's Korean yes. Christian or whomever, Christ will still be here in the United States of America. Yeah, and that's what
2: you yes, meant. absolutely. Right, and that and and here's the thing. I think the clo- and, and the closer we become, the more the more that we progress down the road of sanctification, each one of us, right? We're going to start to prize the things that God loves and not the things that we hold on to mm-hmm. so tightly. And I'm not saying that we shouldn't love America because I love America and I hope that the cr- South Korean Christians love their you know what I mean? I don't think there's anything right. wrong with patriotism, but there is something mm-hmm. about our hearts that become more like him, the more we know him. And so if he loves the multi-ethnic church, I really believe that our hearts are going to be drawn into that too.
1: I totally agree. And it's also true, by the way, that every person when you become a Christian, you're changed a bit from the non-Christian culture around you, whatever it is. Um, So I do know, for example, America is extraordinarily individualistic. Like I, I can do my own truth and I i uh you know i Ubu. can define myself right. well american churches are relatively individualistic compared to korean churches yeah on the other hand we've been changed by the bible the bible doesn't let us go all the way in that direction actually korean churches and i'm saying this because we i know them tend to be authoritarian a little bit more because korean culture is authoritarian but but christianity that mo- it modifies that christianity it keeps, keeps the authoritarianism of some cultures, and it moderates it inside the church, just like it's mm-hmm. moderated individualism inside mm-hmm. the American church. Got we it. ought to be very happy for the fact that, that God is bringing us together across these racial barriers and, and just letting us be. I mean, when I become a Christian, I'm not a Chinese Christian. I'm an American Christian, mm-hmm. right. but I'm also different. I've been, I'm, 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 I'm letting the gospel critique my Americanness in some ways. And it makes me, I think, a better American, but certainly a great Christian too.
0: All right.
2: Hey, we're praying for both of you guys. Yeah.
0: Yeah. Always a pleasure, guys. Thanks so much. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Greatly appreciate it. That's
2: Tim
1: and Kathy Keller.
2: Tim's latest book is called Forgive. Why should I? How can I?
0: Thanks for listening to Christian Outlook. Our program is coming to you today in partnership with the Pepperdine Graduate School of Public Policy. It's America's most unique graduate leadership programs offered on Pepperdine's breathtaking campus in Malibu, California. Learn more at publicpolicy.pepperdine.edu. If you enjoy our podcast, take a moment and tell a friend to subscribe today.